Hi ladies, I'm glad you found me here at Walking in Heels. I wanted to share some of the great voices of women who have been influential in my world and in the world in general. Now we know that our POV, be it in heels, wedges, or flats, is unique and special. So I wanna celebrate that. Thank you so much in advance for listening as we delve into hearing from some strong females going places. Today's guest on Walking in Heels is a pretty remarkable woman. She is an associate professor of English at Rutgers University. Shannon Fisk uh, specializes in 19th century British literature, right, and classical reception studies. And she also directs a graduate program in English and media studies. If that wasn't enough on her plate, and I know you're all getting, you know, flashbacks of being back in school and getting graded, but her stuff's really cool. But in addition to her academia profile, she's also a portrait and fashion photographer. She has studios in Philadelphia, New York City. She did some amazing work. And I'm learning that she has something to do with riding horses. So without any further um, ado here, Shannon Fisk, thank you so much for spending some time with me and my listeners today. It's great to chat with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Bianca. And, you know, we connected because we have a mutual friend in um, sort of the publishing industry, but I was really fortunate to kind of listen into one of your graduate classes and hear how you are kind of shaping minds um, at Rutgers. I want to dig into that a little bit because you're you're kind of, um, you're responsible for people who are, you know, not necessarily, these are graduate students, and they're looking to pivot their careers, but you also bring it into sort of the classical, you know, classical career meets sort of what's happening now in the world. How do you approach that? Because I would think that's a tremendous responsibility because people are looking to you as their professor to really give them guidance on whether or not they like start a whole new career or stay on their path. I mean, that's got to be a lot of pressure. Yeah. So um, I was trained in a very traditional academic path. I went straight from undergraduate to graduate to a tenure track job. Um, And the graduate program at Rutgers has really, you know, for the past 30 years, um, been directed along similarly traditional lines. But in the past, I would say about 10 years, um, we've lost a lot of applicants because Mm. I think more and more people are Um, thinking about the utility of going on to get a master's degree in the humanities, because honestly, the job opportunities out there in academia are not great and shrinking by the minute. So I think one of the things that contributes to the success of any academic department is um, the ability to be flexible and to adapt to the current market. So one of the things that I did when I took on the directorship two years ago was to start thinking about the ways that a master's degree could um, orient students toward um, different career paths if they are thinking of going back to school to um, do something different from what they're doing now. Um, so the program has become um, has changed from a program that traditionally prepared master's degree students to go on to get PhDs um, to a program that is more terminal in nature. And most of our graduate students are looking to use this opportunity to learn more, um, to go into teaching, to go into nonprofit work, to um, maybe do some education entrepreneurship. Um, so you yeah. kind of so you kind of changed the narrative on what it traditionally was to, to make it more useful and practical and and into tactical for what this world is now, you know, turning into. 
Absolutely. And I think specifically given the pandemic, more people have sort of sat back and thought about, okay, am I doing what is meaningful to me in my life now? Or do I want to go back to school and try something new and find something more meaningful in my life? And a lot of our students are on that um, trajectory. You know, and what is it, you know, I, I have a daughter, she's, uh, you know, in high school. So, you know, I, I look at kind of her trajectory too. And I, I, you know, obviously went and got a um, bachelor of science in journalism and, you know, I was always kind of trained in that, but I look at the world now and I just say, you know, it's one, I wonder what the future generations, if people, um, you know, with like you also hit on the job opportunities that are somewhat dwindling and shrinking as we see corporate America now even shifting to, you know, virtual jobs and a lot of people not going back to the office ever. And we've lost so many jobs, unfortunately, due to the global pandemic and recession. What, what do you what are your thoughts on someone who is academia and really wants to foster this? Do you see this being sort of a path that um, you, you I guess your hopes is and what you've created that people will still want to go the traditional route and still want to go to get, you know, uh, their master's and, you know, their graduate, you know, studies? Yeah, it's interesting because I just had this conversation with my students in the pro seminar, mm-hmm. which is the required course for incoming graduate students, just the last couple of weeks. And, right. uh, you know, what I said to them was, look, if you are passionate about scholarship in the humanities, if you're passionate about writing, um, you should go on and get your PhD. You should stay in academia because my I have a very strong belief that people will succeed if they follow their passions. And I said, look, the job market is not looking good for if you want to go into um, a, a career in scholarship. There are not that many jobs. But I said, if this is your passion, if this is what you want to do, I don't care if there's only one job available. This is what you should be going for. Um, so I, I strongly believe in that. Um, and that seemed... But if you're wishy-washy, yeah. maybe... Right. But that's the thing. You, you can't deter somebody. If they're hell-bent on being you know, an actress, a singer you know it's a competitive thing you still have to go for it but if you're not you were trying to say if you're really not your heart's not in it maybe if your heart's it's, not it's in okay it. to go a less traditional route and maybe not spend the money on a degree and maybe get a work you know work if you can exactly the money and the time I mean my PhD took me seven years to get through and that was pretty speedy you know it, it would take wow. anywhere from seven to ten to twelve years now if you really want to go in and get your PhD and the question is do you really want to is the payoff going to be enough for you because the payoff at the end of the day is not going to be in salary I mean we don't get a lot of money we're teachers um, so I mean is that going to be worth your time but I, you know something that I suggest to master's degree students is that you can take your master's degree and you can go and you know, either teach at a two-year college or take on a position at a nonprofit or, um, you know, there's lots of things that you can do with that degree in the humanities. I mean, I'm a very strong believer that the kind of um, analytical skills and critical thinking that you learn at the graduate level in the humanities is um, extremely useful and, and beneficial for a number of different fields, whether that be entrepreneurship or um, marketing or, um, you know, starting up your own company. I think that's, um, you know, this, these kinds of skills are really critical. Yeah. And I, I, I like that because I think that, um, it is, it is so much about critical thinking, right. That, that I think sometimes is lost because people are just consuming perhaps too much social media or just being, you know, let things be done to them where they really should be stepping back going like, let me ask some uh, some questions about this instead of just jumping right in and things that, you know, a, a real practical, you know, like a if you're set up in a, like you said, academia, you'd probably look at it with some more 
you know, metacognition, you know, and like, why am I wanting to do this? Why am I driven to this and kind of thinking it through? Do you feel that um, if if people are going through a program, say yours, right? And and I met some of your students are fantastic. They're all in different, you know, kind of um, facets of their life. Are they better equipped maybe to start a business than someone who's doing it just by sheer sort of intuition, bootstrapping themselves? (laughs) Uh, I guess it depends on what kind of what kind of business I think um, that that's you know, fair yeah <laughs> spending more time in school definitely allows you to observe more and um, you know get to know people and get to get to get a sense of what other people are doing and um, yeah I mean I think some businesses definitely benefit from from that kind of schooling but on the other hand I know people who who did not go and get a graduate, plenty of people who, who went after their undergraduate degree and, and started a business. And I think more and more from what I observe in this world, it's, it's not so much what you know as who you know. Um, and I think it's perfectly, you know, feasible for someone to go out and start making connections and starting their business. You know, I, you know, talk about the photography a little bit. I was talking to my, um, my team uh, just on the way back from New York the other day. And I was like, wow, you know, if I was actually based in New York city, all of these, con- I can make all of these connections and this, the photography business could really skyrocket, but because I'm not based in New York city, I really have to work for the same connections that could come, I think more easily if I were based in a central location like that. So, you know, to get back to your question, I think, you know, we're so, the society is so much geared toward connections and you know establishing yourself through who you know that you don't know you really don't necessarily have to go through you know graduate school to 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 start a business or something like that right right it just depends on sort of what calls you now let's get into the photography because I do want to um, I mean and you just made a good point that you are not based in New York you had you do beautiful work um, but you are choosing sort of uh, it is a passion of yours, but you you made a conscious decision. I'm I'm sure not to make you know to stay where you are because you love academia, but you're still you still are, are in it. You know you're still you're not dabbling in photography. You're full on. How do you manage to do that plus uh, take on you know everything that you're doing uh, in in at Rutgers? Um, I'm very good at time management. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> I mean, I do, I do things like, you know, if I know I'm teaching in the evenings, which is what I do on Wednesdays, I will schedule shoots in my Philadelphia studio for, you know, the rest of the day in the mornings and then make it to um, office hours and, and, and teaching on Wednesday evenings. So it's, it's a very kind of strategic planning. I, I plan my, my schedule, you know, one to two months in advance. So I know what I'm doing each day. I think planning is just absolutely critical to, to, to what I do and being able to balance everything that I do. But, you know, I'm a kind of person also that, that needs to be busy all the time. And I feel energized by, you know, being able to fulfill all of these different assets, aspects, I guess, uh, of my life. So, and, and you have no desire to, to do it full time while you do love it and you are excellent at it. You sort of, you like having the option of having different, different hats that you wear. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I, I've been in academia literally my entire life, so I can't imagine sort of letting the academic aspects of it go. And I think that the two parts of what I do, the photography and the, and the teaching and the research, um, they just complement each other. And I can't imagine sort of being without one or the other. Yeah. Tell me about your photography work. I see, uh, you know, I follow you on Instagram and I see some beautiful, you know, they're very, um, portraits can be hard. I think everyone kind of shudders when they're like, oh, I have to get a new headshot because it's stressful. (laughs) 
but yours are very, um, you almost are looking at these women and they're just, it looks effortless. Uh, tell me about your work when you, you shoot these women in these kind of very, you know, classic images, but they're also modern in the same way. Is, am I saying that right? Like there's a modernness to it, but they're also timeless. Oh, yeah. Um, so I guess my work kind of straddles that line between fashion and portraiture. I shoot um, a lot of models who are working on their building their modeling portfolios. So that's the majority of my work. I also shoot for fashion designers um, and I do some, you know, headshots and, um, you know, some of that kind of thing, too. So I'm all over the place. But for, you know, for my my inspiration and my my favorite kind of portraiture to do is um you know fashion portraiture if you will i i love peter lindbergh's work what i love yes. about him is that he is able to you know take people and really capture them in these moments of honesty and authenticity and more and more i feel like my work um with anybody i shoot is to capture them in these almost you know, unposed, unexpected moments when you can really see beyond sort of um, the face or the facade that they put on for the rest of the world and to capture them in a moment of honesty and authenticity, which is which is hard to do because everybody comes into my studio having had makeup and hair professionally done. And, you know, I usually have a stylist on set. Take that off or bring it down. Yeah. And I am always encouraging models to not pose, to just move. And, And in my favorite shots are the ones where I catch them in between poses um, where you catch that moment of truth and I think that's the the part of photography that I that I love the most when you when the camera is able to see beyond the posing and beyond you know what people how people necessarily want to be perceived um, to this moment that captures them in this in this kind of moment of pure selfhood so so yeah I'm glad that 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 gets through in some of the images that that makes me feel like I've you know partially accomplished what I'm hoping to do um so so do yeah you, do you well, how did you get into photography so my mom is actually a photographer she like goes off on National Geographic photography trips she um does it's in your DNA it's in my DNA <laughs> and honestly you know my That's cool. father is an actor um, my mom has always been into photography like I've just been surrounded by it but I didn't you know really pick it up until um, a few years ago when my mom was sort of getting rid of some of her old cameras and I was like oh you know I'll just pick this up and try it and um it was just something that kind of seized me from the minute Wait, I. This was only a few years ago. Yeah, like when I when wow. I get into something, I really get into it. I kind of go into it heart and soul, and um, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it's, it. Must be some innate ability then that has been you know epigenics or something because your your photography looks like something that you, you know a skill that you've honed over decades. You know, I oh. I was going to say, <laughs> wow, did you you know start when you were like fourteen and. You know, I think with any of the arts, you know, sometimes it just comes natural to people. And, you know, obviously you had a a great upbringing and surrounding around what images, you know, kind of could spark, you know, uh, memories and and spark conversations. Yeah. And I've been a student of photography for a very long time. You know, even in my work as a scholar and a writer, I was very interested in the history of photography, 19th century photography. I've always been fascinated by 
the image um, sort of as a concept and, um, you know, analysis of imagery. So, I mean, I've approached photography from the theoretical and from the scholarly end of things. So when I picked up the camera, it was really interesting to, to sort of work at it from the practice side of things. Right, right. Like you had all the other pieces and now you're like, now let me just do the practical part of it. That's yeah. really exactly. interesting. <laughs> Would you suggest if there are, are women out there who um, are interested in photography and maybe um, want to pursue this as a career, what advice would you give them, Shannon? Oh, wow. So I, I have a lot to say about this. I feel like um, women have so for so long and historically been the object of the gaze of the lens of the camera, right? Um, especially in the fashion world. And quite, you know, very, if you look at any of the big photography agencies in New York or LA, most of the big photographers who are shooting fashion are men. Um, and most often the, the objects of that photography are women. So I feel like women actually have a harder path ahead of them um, pursuing especially fashion photography because not only do they have to get into the field but they have to sort of reverse the paradigm that has been um traditionally male dominated yeah for for a very very long time at least that is the that is the experience that i've had and i'm asian and i think for asian women it's even more so because asian women have been exoticized in so many ways and that Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and that's a very difficult position to to emerge out of. So I am so, so much a proponent of women entering the photography field, because I think very much what the industry, especially the fashion industry needs, um, is that female perspective. Um, So that's kind of an ideological background to sort of the, in terms of the answering that question, I think practically, um, pick up a camera, just start shooting. (laughs) I I think, you know, that's what I did. You just, you have to just get in there and start doing it and take advantage of any opportunity that, that is available. To shoot model, shoot people and shoot. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's it's kind of like you do gotta, you know, you gotta start, you know, paying your dues, if you will, in earning it, you know, and kind of, you know, like you said, opportunities come and maybe not, they're not paid gigs, but it's great to increase your portfolio and just get you sort of the experience and the breadth of trying different subjects. Yeah, absolutely. What do you say about um, female photographers? Obviously the way we would approach a subject is very different than a a man. (laughs) I'm not saying good or bad, but it's different. What do you think it is when a female is behind a lens of a camera as compared to a man? Is there, what is the difference that you think? Yeah. The difference is, <laughs> I'm sure we could go into a whole other podcast about this, but. Yeah. I, let me try to distill it. Cause I've thought a lot about this. Um, so I can talk about what, what my experience is um, when I'm shooting women. Like I, I've actually thought about writing a, a, an article or, or an essay or something about this, which is that when I look at women in front of the camera, I, I experience sort of a, a sense of almost identity with women who I have been, women who I want to be, women who seem to reflect a certain moment that I'm experiencing in my life now, women who I, you know, aspire to be in my, in the future. Like I see versions of myself in a way. And, and that, and that is not in any way that identification process is not in any way projective. I don't think I project myself onto models. I think I Mm -hmm. see or try to grasp in them something that, you know, I have experienced or want to experience. So, you know, for example, if I'm photographing a 16 year old 
model. I remember what I was like at 16. I remember that kind of awkwardness with myself and my body and my you mm-hmm. know, discovering who I want to be when I grow up and this kind of experimenting with identity that, 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 that I think the camera can provide if you're brave enough to sort of experiment with it and flirt with it. And then, you know, I, I, I've also shot women who are older than I am in their um, late 40s and early 50s. And I say, oh, wow, you know, I hope that when I when I'm that age, I get to have that kind of confidence and that kind of beauty that radiates from the breadth of my experiences, you know, in the 40 and 50 years I've been on this earth. And, you know, I've experienced this kind of almost this falling in love with with women who are older just thinking oh wow you know i so want to be that woman when i'm older and how can i capture in this photograph that love that i feel for everything that they've experienced and um that's a really really powerful emotion for me now i am not a man but i've definitely seen a lot of photographs (laughs) captured by male photographers and right um you know i'm very very uh appalled and 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 um a lot of the photographs are seem to objectify women to be honest with you and i feel like the male gaze quite often i'm not saying in all circumstances but in many circumstances is a sexualization um and i I, sometimes a hyper sexualization too absolutely and it's like wow you know it is it's it's sometimes, especially in fashion, you see it come out too, especially when, and I, I, I get so concerned when the, the younger women are, are made to look so much older and it mm-hmm. just seems so unnatural. And so like, yeah. Ooh, there's a line here. There's something innate, like that's not right. Yeah. There's something there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to be critical because a lot of my, you know, a lot of my role models in, in the photography field are men and I do admire the way they capture women. I mean, Peter and Lippert. listen, it, it's, it, it's beautiful. Women are beautiful to look at. So yeah. you can kind of get when there's like a sexy, shocking, like a Tom Ford campaign, like that's yeah. hot. Like I get it. And it's, it's yeah. sexual, but it's also like, there's some, there's a story behind it. I think that sometimes when, you know, when there's a story or a through line where you get it, where it's not just for like, um, a TNA type thing, you know, then it becomes sort of elevated as an art and we can accept it more. Right, right, exactly. And it takes a lot to get to get to that point. You know, I, I've watched so many documentaries of Peter Lindbergh because he's, you know, such a, an enigma in a lot of ways, because like I, my question is always like, how does he capture these women in such kind of moments of authenticity um, with almost erasing his own gender identity because you know like he doesn't over sexualize women he's able to capture that and that's what i'm you know striving for but a lot of you know most male photographers whose work i've seen are not able to achieve that you know right Um, right neither am i you know uh, he's just kind of like up there on this pillar but but yeah yeah his 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 photographs (laughs) are amazing i also was a big fan what do you what do you think of francesco scavulo Francesco Scavulo, yeah, I have. He's not on my like list of pho- photographers I go to for for study, um, but I I need to look more at his work. I only because he's roster. iconic, yeah, like face pictures that kind of. I, I think what uh, what I I just wanted to get your opinion. I'm not putting you on the spot here, but his his photography of men and women kind of evoke a moment in time, you know, yeah, and it brings you to a place like a photograph brings you to like that era, and you're like, yep, that was. You know, you see it and you know exactly that was the 90s or that was, you know, the the 70s. Like this was the look. And it's kind of like you talked about kind of, you know, capturing 
you know, and some, you know, some of them are very, not really posy, like they're kind of offbeat, quirky poses. Yeah. And I think that quirkiness is also going toward that kind of authenticity because I've seen models do that too, where they almost caught in this moment where they, of unintentional kind of beauty. Um, but I wanted to address that idea of time as well, because I think Scavulo and other photographers are able to capture a particular historical moment and also make that moment timeless in a way. Um, and I think that that's a unique um, facet of photography as well is this kind of ability to freeze freeze time if one does it correctly. <laughs> I know. Well, and it's everything like the makeup or what they're wearing, like everything kind of, I may be wrong. I'm pretty sure I, I saw this somewhere. I don't know if it was, and this is a trick that maybe you can use. I, I picked this up somewhere. There was, I think it's Francesco Scavula. When he would shoot supermodels, he would have them save my daughter laughs because I used to do this. So you say the word Thursday and the way <laughs> your mouth lands after you say the word Thursday is a very natural smile for almost anybody. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> uh, I I have, and actually there are other words I haven't heard Thursday, but my um. My oh, what are artist, the other ones? I need to know. <laughs> the one that um the one that my my makeup artist who's often on set with me when I'm kind of instructing models who are just starting to pose, she tells them to say apple, and uh, I I don't know I don't know if it. <laughs> I don't know if these words necessarily work, um, but, but yeah, I mean, I've, it's crazy. I've heard, that. I've heard that. I mean, I guess everyone's so different. I know. So there's certain words, I guess, when you, when it just relaxes your jaw or maybe they're thinking about the word that they're not thinking about, you know, every angle of their body, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's it. That's interesting. I should collect, um, you know, a list of words. <laughs> I know. Ask well, models to say. Yeah. I know. We we should test it out. It'd be kind of interesting, you know, in your in your pursuit there while you are shooting. So before we let you go, what is this about horses? What tell me because I'm 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 jealous. I wish I could ride more often. I'm, I'm by no means an expert, but I do. I think they're the most beautiful animals. So you ride horses in your in your downtime, which I don't even know how you have any. Uh, I actually used to do it. Um, I guess semi-professionally, I used to do it a lot, you know, even 10 years ago, I was working um, for a trainer and I would be riding, you know, five to six days a week. And I, um, you know, would be on five to six horses a day, um, hopping between farms and barns. This is before the photography sort of entered and took over my life before the right. photography um I was you know deep into horses and I've been riding since I was eight years old so I've been riding for you know almost 40 years and you know I I for the past you know I would say from the time I was like 35 to the time I was 40 you know three um I I was riding full on all the time professionally um training horses um just being very much in that world and um you know a few years ago I you know had a pretty a couple of really bad falls and you know mm. had some some head injuries that I and I just realized my body is way too is getting too old to be beat up like that mm -hmm. yeah, yeah <laughs> um, I'm sure 
so yeah. you know I still have two horses who are you know semi-retired um they I, I still ride them but but they're not really they're not competing for sure um and I still ride for for a trainer in the area so I'm on horses every week but um it's not something that I do you know anyway in any way professionally anymore right right well you know but you still have it as a part of your life and I'm sure that you know that's a, a great outlet for you as well yes for sure. Tell our listeners where they can book a session with you or join your graduate studies class. Where can people find you, Shannon? So I'm mostly on Instagram. Um, I, I, I don't really get into all of the social media, but most of my work is on Instagram. Um, I'm at Shannon Fisk, S-H-A-N-Y-N-F-I-S-K-E. Um, there's a link there to my website. People can contact me through the website or through my Instagram um, and that, those are pretty much the two venues for contacting me. And if they want to apply to the master's degree um, in English and media studies at Rutgers, they can go right to um, the Rutgers website and follow the links to the application, or they can email me, um, fisk at camden.rutgers.edu for more information about our graduate program. Well, that is that, that is great. So we, we wish you so much continued success. I thank you for, you know, this very candid talk about, you know, not only photography, but, you know, academia. And as someone who's been in it almost her whole life, I think that you're so articulate and well-spoken, obviously it is, um, you know, we can tell that you've been, you know, passionate about that world and hopefully it'll be inspirational to some others to kind of see where, where kind of higher education can take them, even in this post COVID world. Exactly. Exactly. And thank you so much for having me, Bianca. This was a pleasure. 